before I get into the message today, I want to kind of give everybody an update. You know, last week was our pledge week for the new property, and so we wanted to let everybody know that, uh, you know, what transpired and what happened. And it occurred to me this morning, you know, this isn't just a Christmas season, and you may or may not know this, but it's been clearly confirmed by many of the leaders of this church that we are not just in a Christmas season, we are in a season of God's favor. And, and it's been going on for a while, but it was really clearly seen in the project that we're in the middle of now with this property. You know, we found this property, it was ideal, four and a half acres, 20,000 square foot building. And we found out that there were 40 developers that had made inquiries about this property. And we couldn't compete with, with developers. We didn't have the money like they do. And so we just happened to know the family that owned the property at one time. They actually went to my church for about 10 years. And uh, so we had an in there. And then after that, we uh, found out that it was owned by another company. Well, we just happened to know the owner of that company. And when we contacted him, he went on our website and saw that he saw, he knows several people from Sanctuary, even though he's out in Paris. And so that was some of the beginning steps of God's favor, some of the beginning hints that God's blessing is upon this whole project. And then uh, you know, the property is worth well over what we're paying for it. So we already have equity in the property. And then we, uh, we, we got the property, as, as Pastor Rod said, for $600,000. And uh, when I got ready to sign the purchase agreement, uh, the realtor called me and said the owner has uh, offered to carry back a second trust deed for $200,000 and donate the interest to the church. So that left $400,000. We took the offering, you remember, for the earnest money. We collected enough, $30,000 that was requested to open up escrow. And that left $370,000 that we would need to close escrow. Three hundred and seventy, dollars And that's what we wanted. That's what we needed. And, and that's what we prayed for. And that's what we took the pledges for last week. So do you want to know what we collected? Okay, if you come back next week, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> We needed 370. This is what we got. It was Rod and I singing that song. So, you know, if you do the math, we also collected $25,000 in the offering for the building last week. Well, we needed $400,000. We got $375,000 in pledges, and we collected $25,000. Now, I wasn't great in math, but if you add three hundred seventy-five and twenty-five, that's exactly the $400,000 that we needed. So, so I, you know, I thought about that verse that, that Paul shared with the Philippians. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And that's what he did for us. So this is a Christmas season, but it's also a season of God's favor. So, so Christmas, 10 days away. Does it seem like it? Did Christmas sneak up on anybody besides me? You know, I was so relieved this year. My wife said, let's don't spend a lot of money on gifts. Let's just, let's just get each other practical gifts like socks and diamonds and You know, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey right now, you may have never uh, become a Christ follower. You may have been a Christ follower for 50 years. But wherever you're at on the, on the continuum of your spiritual journey, one danger we all face, and that's the danger of hearing the Christmas story every year 
over and over. You can't change the story. I mean, the story is what it is, but the story can become predictable. Yeah, an angel appears to Mary, says she's going to be pregnant, and, and her and Joseph end up in a stable, and there's a star up there, the wise men are coming, and there's shepherds involved and, and everything else. And it kind of loses the dynamic. It loses the impact of the story. You know, Jesus is in a manger, and there's animals around. And, and uh, you know, the danger is that we don't realize the significance of what took place a little over 2,000 years ago. I've spoke to pastor friends of mine many times over the years, and we all have felt the same thing. We feel this pressure to somehow put a new spin on an old story. I mean, literally, you teach the same story once a year, every year. I've been doing it. This is my 41st, I think, uh, Christmas message. And like I said, you can't change the story. So you try to figure out, well, how can I communicate this? Should I focus on the wise men? Should I focus on the shepherds? Should I focus on the donkeys? In the, you know, and then it, it always occurs to me, it's like God brings me back into reality. And it occurs to me that the Christmas story is not something to be studied. It's something to be marveled at. It's something to be amazed by. It's something that is transitional. It's supposed to change our lives. It's supposed to change our lives and touch us emotionally and impact us spiritually. I read a story uh, a while back about a pioneer who traveled across the plains of the Midwest, and he came to an abrupt stop at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And he looked at this Grand Canyon and he said to himself, as he looked at this mile deep canyon, eight miles across, a hundred miles long, he said to himself, whispering almost under his breath, something must have happened here. I thought, you know, a visitor to our world at Christmas time seeing the lights and the decorations and the presents and the trees and the hearing the carols and the church, the, the church services and all the kindness and, that goes on, they must say to themselves, something must have happened here. Something did happen here a little over 2,000 years ago. God came to our world in the first Christmas. The manger in Bethlehem that we all know so well that manger is the place that heaven and earth touched. The events of Christmas connected a lost world with a loving God. So I want to read the story, the Christmas story. I specifically asked the, the tech team not to put the story up on the screen because I want you to hear the story and not read it. And let's try to recapture some of the awe, some of the wonder, some of the amazement of God's grace and God's goodness. Try to hear the story as if you were a young child hearing it for the very first time. Try to recapture some of the impact it has. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Insert yourself into this scene. Don't just read words off a page or hear somebody else's voice. Imagine you're there. Imagine what it must have been like. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary. The promise of countless centuries has finally arrived. The Savior that God had promised through so many prophets over so much time in so many different ways was here. The promise everybody waited for for centuries, the promise everybody longed for, everybody prayed for, everybody thought and talked about was here. They would wonder and talk and even debate about what it it would be like the day God visits earth. And their minds would run and their imagination would run wild. And they would debate and they would argue and they would try to outdo each other of what it would be like, how God would would make his entrance into time and into the lives of people. And I'm sure they had the sky splitting apart and the angelic host coming, the heavenly host singing. I imagine they had all this great pomp and pageantry and all this splendor and majesty that was going to happen. And when God came, he surprised everybody. He was nothing like anybody expected. And that's why most people missed it. I think about Mary as she's there in that stable cradling her newborn baby. And she looks down and she thinks to herself, so you're the one. You're the one. You're the one that all the prophets pointed to and told us about. You're the one, the promised hope of Israel. You're the Savior. And imagine her looking at his tiny little newborn hand, realizing this is the hand that laid the foundations of the world. This is the hand that fashioned the mountain ranges. This is the hand that hung the stars in the sky and named them all. And now the hand that did all that is holding on to her finger. How profound of a moment that must have been. How far God came. How far God came. And as the baby sleeps, Mary remembers something she had heard about. The rabbis taught her from the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah when he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So without protocol, without pretense, without pomp or pageantry, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped out of eternity and he steps into time. And we read the first Christmas, the shepherds drop everything and they go see this great event. All of a sudden to them, 
what just moments earlier was so important, their livelihood. They've devoted themselves to caring for the flock, to feeding them, to protecting them, and now they're going to leave them unattended to go see what they had been told. What was just at one time so important to them no longer seemed important in light of what was taking place that night. You know, Christmas is still like that. Things that seem so important every other day of the year pale into insignificance next to what happened a little over 2,000 years ago. It's like for a sliver of time, our whole world comes to its senses. Priorities start to fall into place. Things that seem so important now aren't. The single greatest event the world will ever see the wonder of God's gift to humanity, the wonder that God cares about people like you and I suddenly is realized by people. And unfortunately for for too many people, it's the only time they think about things like that. But notice what what happens whenever people's thoughts in mass turn to Jesus. Men collectively put their thoughts on God and the personality of the entire world changes. Wars are stopped. There's armistice that that takes place. In, in, In past wars, they've stopped fighting on Christmas Day. Weapons are laid down. Ceasefires are announced. People begin to care for other people. Normally, people who are self-centered and it's all about them, now all of a sudden they're concerned about people like the homeless that Garrett talked about. Their thoughts turn to people who don't have family or don't have good families or, 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 or not having a Christmas at all. And so they begin to be generous with other people and compassionate and concerned and peace and goodwill break out all over. You know, God himself originated the custom of giving gifts at Christmas time. The very first Christmas, so long ago, God went to his treasure chest and he opened heaven's treasures and he gave the greatest gift ever. It says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who under law that who to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters at just the right time at the anointed time god wrapped his gift in flesh and jesus was born and for the first time ever human beings could look into the eyes of god and they were the innocent eyes of a newborn baby no guile No sin, no anger, no hate, no hostility. You know, Paul, the great apostle, was one of the most brilliant men who has ever lived. He was a deep thinker, a philosopher. He was a great orator, an unbelievable author and writer. We are studying, a couple thousand years after his life, things that he just wrote casually to friends. And we are studying them till today. And one day he tried to to wrap his mind around the gift that God sent from heaven that first Christmas. And I think he was trying to think of every word he could think of, every sentence he could say, every description he could provide. And finally he probably threw his hands up in the air and he simply said, 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul couldn't come up with a description. That night in the manger, the angel's message to the shepherds, where I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. God's gift was good news to all people because none are cut out. None are left out. All can come. God's gift was good news to all people because helpless humanity had a friend in heaven. Not a judge, not an angry judge, not an uninterested stranger, not somebody who couldn't care less, but a friend. God could have called himself anything. And you know what he called himself? A father, a friend. God's gift was given to all humanity. It says, people like you and like me, we have a friend of heaven. You have a friend of heaven. God's gift wasn't given to the masses. We tend to want to think like that, don't we? For God so loved the whole world. And he did. And he came for the whole world, but he also came for every one of us. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's why don't commercialize Christmas, personalize Christmas. Because had it been the people in this room right now, I believe Jesus would have come for us if we were it, if there were no one else. Regain amazement over grace. The angels must have been amazed. They were probably amazed at God's love and the length it would go to to be expressed, but they were probably amazed at man's indifference too. I, I can see the angels looking at each other and says, don't they realize what's going on here? Don't they realize who's in that barn? God hung a star in heaven to announce the arrival, the arrival of a king and only three foreign travelers, strangers, wise men, bothered to look up and take notice. Eight days later, Mary and Joseph carried God to church and nobody noticed except two people, a prophetess named Anna and an elderly godly man named Simeon. God was in church and nobody noticed. People didn't notice, but you know what? The angels noticed. The heavenly host, seeing what was transpiring, seeing what was unfolding, understanding the ramifications of what this gift meant, to humanity couldn't contain themselves. So on a hill outside of Bethlehem, the sky lights up with heaven's brilliance. But not just with brightness, it's, it lights up with celebration and with worship. And the angels birth forth, burst forth with praise, and that scene explodes in the night sky, and they sing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men, toward mankind. Seeing what God did for you and for me caused angels to sing in wonder and worship. And every Christ follower should have the same effect on us. When we, when we don't just ignore it or we don't take the story for granted, but when we really understand the significance behind that story, it should cause us to sing 
with praise and worship and gratitude. I, I think the angels didn't even notice the star above the stable that the wise men followed. Their eyes were fixed on the real star of heaven, the bright and morning star, the one that they had loved and honored and adored for eternity past. Angels understood what people like you and I at that time hadn't yet discovered. Now on earth was Jesus. Peace was now on earth. Goodwill toward men was here, and that goodwill came from God. God's gift had finally arrived. That indescribable gift brought hope and promise to things we all want and need but could never have without God's precious gift of Jesus. God knew that there were gifts and desires that we needed and wanted that we could could never have if he didn't give them to us. Things like forgiveness. The Bible says all the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sin through his name. People don't just need forgiveness. They, they want a second chance. Don't you, don't you want to do over? There's a reason everybody makes New Year's resolutions January 1st of every year, break them by about 7.30 that night. But instinctively, we all want a do over. We want a second chance. Christ offered that second chance. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We want forgiveness. And with that forgiveness comes a second chance. And with the second chance comes true life. John says, he who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son of God has not life. This is the author of life telling us what it takes to have life. And what he's saying is, if you have Jesus and nothing else, you've got life. And you've got the whole world. Without Jesus, you've got nothing. Forgiveness, a second chance, true life, and then eternal life. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was the indescribable gift. All four of those promises. Forgiveness, a second chance, true life, eternal life, all four are found in Jesus. And anybody who trusts and accepts him gets those gifts too. Ralph Waldo Emerson could take a worthless piece of paper, write a poem on it, and instantly it would be worth thousands of dollars. Bill Gates can write his name on a piece of paper and it become worth millions of dollars. That's called riches. An artist can take a 50-cent piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, and make it worth a fortune. It's called talent. But only Jesus can take a worthless, sinless, sinful life, wash it in his blood, put his spirit inside that person, and make it a priceless gift to God. It's called amazing grace. But you know, the birth of Jesus was only the beginning step of God's love. It was only the very beginnings of God's gift, as if the birth wasn't enough. In order for God to offer forgiveness, a second chance, true life, and eternal life, that baby had to grow up and die one day. See, we celebrate Christmas on one day, but Christmas was not a one-day event. It was a 33-year process. God's gift gave and gave and gave for 33 years. 
Jesus in the manger is only part of the gift, but Jesus on the cross and his resurrection was the completion of God's indescribable gift. So step back into that story now. 33 years after the birth of Jesus, we find Mary and Jesus together one more time. Not in a stable, but at a cross on a hill outside Jerusalem. Not in a place of birth, but in a place of death. And as Mary, his mother, weeps at the foot of that cross, the words Simeon spoke to her eight days after Jesus was born come flooding back into Mary's mind. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Anyone who's lost a child knows exactly what Simeon was talking about and Mary found out that day too. She looks at her son up on that cross and she aches with pain and she can feel the sword piercing her soul. And her mind goes running back 33 years to Bethlehem from Jerusalem and she remembers the innocence of her little boy. And when she looks up at Jesus on that cross, guess what? The innocence is still there because of his sinless life. And then it hits her. Sin is doing this to my child. And then, like a ton of bricks, she realizes my sin is doing this to my child. And guess what? At that moment, God's gift became indescribable to her. When she sees the horror that her son is going through, she says, what did my son do to deserve this? And once again, she realizes he didn't deserve it. She did. You did. I did. We did. And then she understands, just like when he was 12 years old, he's still being about the father's business. The father's business was to remove from us the stain of sin that we could never remove ourselves. So, at the cross of Calvary, we find Jesus and Mary. A mother's love is why she's there. A Savior's love is why he's there. And as Mary prays silently to the Father, you realize they both lost a child that day. God lost his son, and Mary lost hers. And that day, heaven's headlines read, Mary's lamb slaughtered. I don't think the angels were singing that day. I can't prove it. It's just my opinion. But I think heaven was silent when Jesus was on the cross. I think heaven was shocked into silence how far God would go to offer that indescribable gift. And so with the heaven silent, maybe for the first time in all of eternity, an angel shocked into silence, God's gift became indescribable even to angels. There was nothing to sing about that day, not even for angels. God's gift began in a stable in Bethlehem, but only at the cross outside Jerusalem did the gift say, it's finished. No longer were people helpless and hopeless. No longer did lost people have to stay lost. The Savior had come and brought hope with him, and that hope was, we've got a friend in heaven. 
God's gift was indescribable, but that gift had a name. A name above every name. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. Speaking of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah would say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Isaiah was looking ahead from his day. We're looking back from ours. So let me ask you, was Isaiah right? Was Jesus wonderful? Well, the poor thought he was. The the sick thought he was pretty wonderful. The sinners, hopeless sinners, thought he was wonderful. The social outclass and those who were marginalized in their society and looked down upon, they thought he was wonderful. Because no matter who they were, he gave them hope and he offered them forgiveness. And he gave them a second chance and a fresh start. So he was wonderful. Was he a counselor? His enemies would come trying to listen to his messages, seeing how they could trap him. And they would leave walking away saying, no man ever spoke the way this man speaks. Listen, when people listen and do what Jesus taught, life works. When you do life God's way, life works. And when you don't do life God's way, life doesn't work. So when you live your life the way Jesus taught us to live, life makes sense. Now, there's still problems. There's still challenges. There's still difficulties. There's still times of uncertainty and confusion and doubt. But in all of that, you find a peace. You find a strength. You hold on to a hope that comes with God's indescribable gift. He was wonderful. He was a counselor. Was he mighty God and everlasting father? Well, his sinless life said he was, and his resurrection proved he was. Was he the prince of peace? Countless millions of people of every generation will tell you that he was the prince of peace in their life, willing to go under all kinds of persecution and even death, and yet maintain the peace during those times. Christmas is a time of giving, but it's also a time of receiving. This Christmas, why don't you give to others an indescribable gift? Tell them what Jesus has done for you. And tell them what he's done for you, even though their life is different than yours, he'll do in your life what he's done in, your, in mine. Or if you haven't raise the white flag of surrender and cross the line of faith and become a Christ follower, Christmas isn't a time for giving, it's a time for receiving. Receive an indescribable gift of forgiveness and a second chance and true life and eternal life. Christmas beckons us all to come to Jesus. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whosoever will, let him come. All are welcome. So the Lord Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, he's not just a baby in a manger. He is so much more. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's a savior. He's a king. People remember Jesus' birth at Christmas. They remember his death at Easter. But oftentimes people forget that he's returning. 
The first time Jesus came, he came veiled in the form of a child. Few noticed and even fewer understood. The next time he comes, he will be unveiled and it will be abundantly clear and immediately clear to all exactly who he is. The first time Jesus came, a single star marked his arrival. The next time he comes, the heavens are going to split apart and he himself will light up the whole sky. The sun will turn dark and the moon will turn red, the Bible says. The first time he came, there was no room for him in the inn. The next time he comes, the whole world won't be able to contain him. The first time Jesus came, a few attended his arrival. The next time he comes, every eye will see him and every tongue will confess him to be Lord. The first time he came as a baby an infant, God's gift to humanity. The next time he comes, he's going to come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They missed the first time. People didn't understand. Jesus came the first time and most people missed it. And unfortunately, a lot of people might miss the second time he comes too. But this is what I believe. I believe if that same angel that appeared to the shepherds so long ago on that hill outside of Bethlehem were to stand on this stage today, I believe he would say this. I still bring you good news. Still, unto you is born a Savior. Don't ignore such a precious gift. Don't ignore a gift that was so costly to give. Don't take for granted God's gift. Don't leave an indescribable gift unwrapped. This Christmas can be the greatest Christmas ever. No matter how many Christmases you've been through before, this can be the best one ever. It can be the Christmas that you devote your one and only life to thank Jesus for an indescribable gift and offer him the devotion as long as you live. Or it can be the Christmas that you received an indescribable gift, one that you've never received before, no matter how many gifts you've had in the past. The gift of forgiveness, a second chance, true life, and eternal life. Only God, only God could give an indescribable gift, and he gave one to each one of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us to personalize Christmas, to realize that we were the recipients of a gift that was determined to be given long before creation existed. And that when you determined to give such a costly gift, you looked down through history and you saw every face of the people in this room and you did it for them. You said, I'm going to be their friend and his friend and her friend. And I pray, God, that that would strike in our souls and in our hearts to the point where we would devote our one and only life serving you and worshiping you and thanking you. Let this season, the season of Christmas, the season of God's favor, and the season of God's indescribable gift be the best Christmas ever. It may be seen in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.